0: Well, it is sometimes hard to believe, but there are still hundreds of isolated and uncontacted tribes of people uh, living around the world today. Many of these tribes are in the remote regions of the Amazon rainforest in South America, but they can also be found in the, the mountains of New Guinea. They can be found in some islands of India. Uh, and these tribes, for, for one reason or another, have choos- chosen to live in uh, various isolation from the wider modern world. Uh, maybe it's ignorance of that wider world or fear of, of other people being born out of a history of, of violent interactions or displacement from their land when they, they have contacted others. Or maybe it's simply a desire to uh, continue their traditional ways of life. Uh, well, whatever the reason, these tribes are marked by a more primitive way of life, from the, the clothes they wear, the, the tools and weapons that they use, the homes they live in, the technology they employ. Uh, the wa- modern world has has passed these people by and has been passing them by for, for quite some time. And the point is that these tribes just largely live in isolation from the wider world around them, though major events or decisions of the global community have uh, really no impact on their way of life. Uh, they don't know about the release of the newest iPhone, uh, the rise of electric vehicles, the installation of new governments, wars being fought between nations around the world. These have relatively little impact on their daily lives. Life simply goes on as before. I think when you may read a news article or, or hear something about these uncontacted tribes, it it seems almost hard to believe in our interconnected world. I mean, you can hop on a flight and be the other side of the world in less than a day, that people still live like this. It can even seem foolish, and we could never imagine ourselves living in such a way. You can't even really put yourself in the shoes of these people. But men and women today, often live in their own form of ignorance. We, we like to think of ourselves as separate from these uncontacted tribes, and yet men and women in the modern world often live in their own form of ignorance. And much like the members of those isolated tribes live their lives with little to no consideration of the wider world around them, uh, people around us, and, and even you and I, we are tempted to live our lives with little to no consideration of our Creator God and little to no consideration of the eternity to come. Uh, people that we encounter in life, people all around us, they, they may know God exists or say they believe God exists, just as most of those uncontacted tribes knows that there are other people out there somewhere. Uh, people ha- may have some concept of, of life after death, your neighbors, your coworkers, but often people give neither God nor eternity much if any, conscious thought as they go about their daily lives. And this is what James is warning about in our text for this afternoon. You can go ahead with me and turn uh, to James chapter 4 in your Bibles. We're going to be in James chapter 4, starting in verse 13, and we're going to go all the way through James 5, verse 11. And in this text, uh, James warns of the danger of living your life in willful ignorance of God's sovereign rule of the world, And in willful ignorance of the reality of eternity. Uh, He warns you about the danger of not letting those realities and those truths influence your daily life. He says this type of ignorance is is prideful, it's foolish, it is the opposite of the humility and godly wisdom to which James exhorted us in the verses we studied a couple weeks ago last time we were in James. Uh, So instead in these verses James encourages you to live your life in full consideration of God, and in full consideration of eternity. He makes it clear that that these truths should influence your your daily decisions, they should influence your actions, and most importantly, they should influence your attitudes. Uh, Though life may not always go as you would like, the reality that God is sovereign over the affairs of man and over the affairs of this world, the reality that Christ will one day return to judge the living and the dead is supposed to be a great source of comfort to Christians. And this comfort and and these truths and this message is what James has for you this afternoon. So uh, please follow along as I start reading in James chapter 4, verse 13. Come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes." Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. Come now, you rich people, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth is rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire." You have stored up treasure in the last days. Look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed your fields cries out, and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of armies. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous who does not resist you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Well, James's main idea from this text is that uh, he is uh, James's main idea is that you should wait patiently for the imminent return of Jesus by remembering God's sovereignty, by remembering his judgment, and by remembering his mercy and his compassion. And you should wait patiently for the imminent return of Jesus by remembering God's sovereignty, his judgment, and his mercy and compassion. And so I have three points for you to consider from the text this afternoon. It's uh, basically just following that main idea. One, remember God's sovereignty. Two, remember God's judgment. And three, be patient and remember God's mercy and compassion. Remember God's sovereignty, remember God's judgment, and be patient and remember God's mercy and compassion. Uh, so first remember God's sovereignty Uh, Well, I know all of you have heard stories of people coming here to the UAE for the promise of a job the promise of Employment only for that promise not to be fulfilled Uh, Some person or some company has promised someone a job a a certain salary a, a certain position a certain schedule and so People have decided to leave their homeland and come here to the UAE in hopes of uh, perhaps a a better life, or at least in hopes of an opportunity, uh, only to arrive and and find out that the opportunity that they were promised was a a lie. It did not exist, or it was far different, a far different salary, a far different schedule than what they had been led to believe. Uh, This may have happened to, to some of you sitting in this room this afternoon. Uh, the plans and hopes that these people had when they came to the UAE, they were they were dashed, they were destroyed. Uh, these people found themselves at the mercy of their employers or, or those who brought them to the country. And, and they found themselves with little control over their lives. Well, in these last few verses of, of James chapter 4 from verse 13 all the way through verse 17, uh, James reminds us all that we are not ultimately in control of our lives. In fact, we don't even know what tomorrow will hold. Something unexpected may arise. We are not able to predict the future. You do not even you do not hold your, your, your life in your hands, much less tomorrow. Your life is but a vapor that is here now, but like the dew of the morning will soon be gone. You do not know you do not know when you will die, and you cannot control it. And so James And in light of those truths, he warns you against boasting. He warns you not to boast about what tomorrow will hold or, or to act as if you hold ultimate control over your life. Instead, you are to remember the sovereignty of God. As it is written in the book of Proverbs, a person's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. Uh, now, I, I don't want you to, to misunderstand me. I'm not accusing those who come to the UAE for a job of, of arrogantly boasting about what tomorrow will hold. I'm not accusing you of that. It, it could be true. But the Lord commends uh, the ant in Proverbs for planning ahead and preparing for the future. The fact that God is sovereign and we are not does not mean we are not to, to plant to, and to seek to be wise stewards of what the Lord has, has given us it uh, doesn't mean we're not to act it is a it's a good thing to seek to plan our ways uh, but uh, it's good to seek to be a, to make wise decisions about our future but uh, James is saying that to to do so without any recognition of god's sovereignty or the the fleeting nature of life or the uncertainty of tomorrow and the reality of eternity well to do that is to arrogantly boast uh, so James says today do not say that you are to not to say today or tomorrow we will we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit well, james says to do that is is to arrogantly boast and he instead he says you're to say if the lord wills we will live and do this or that well i don't i don't know if you have noticed that That Christians, some Christians often say, Lord willing, before announcing their plans for the future. Uh, Lord willing, we are going to do this. Lord willing, I am going to do that. Well, these verses in James, this this passage from James, is the reason why. Uh, It's a good idea in the way that you speak to acknowledge the Lord's sovereignty, to acknowledge that uh, your control over your circumstances isn't ultimately in your hands, it is in the Lord's hands. Uh, that being said, I don't think James is fundamentally criticizing the words that you use. If you are having a conversation after church this afternoon and you tell the person you're chatting to that you're going to go to the beach tomorrow, I don't think that means that you are boasting if you don't say, Lord willing, I am going to go to the beach tomorrow. Now, James isn't necessarily criticizing your words. He is criticizing the attitude behind those words. He's rebuking an attitude that ignores God and believes that you are fully in control of your life. He's rebuking an attitude that believes that you, uh, your decisions ultimately govern your life, that you can control the direction, the outcome of your life, that you can control the length of your life. Uh, it's to pridefully assume that you have full control over your future. And an outlook in which God does not factor into your planning or consideration. And Jacob says, this is foolish. Your life is but a vapor that is in the hands of the Lord. Instead, remember God's sovereignty and remember a person's heart plans his way. But the Lord determines his steps. And so this afternoon, brothers and sisters, I just want to point out some. What some signs might be that you're arrogantly forgetting that that God is sovereign and putting too much confidence in your plans, this is something that we are all, at least from time to time, tempted to do. Uh, We're tempted to live our life in this way. Uh, So some signs that this may be something that you are struggling with is, is simply not seeking counsel about big decisions that you are thinking of making and not praying about the decisions, not asking for the Lord's wisdom Uh, Pretending that you have the wisdom to chart your own course, uh, that you see things clearly, and that you see all eventualities. Uh, Perhaps just assuming that your desires, what you want, always equates with the Lord's will, and never examining your decisions to see if they are in agreement with Scripture. Uh, You might... Uh, Be arrogantly boasting about your future when or or showing that you are tempted to do this If you are devastated when your plans fall apart if you plan for tomorrow If you plan for the week and years ahead and you are devastated when those plans do not come to pass And you get angry and bitter that the life you envision has not come to pass Uh, You do not know what tomorrow holds Perhaps you're constantly anxious about things that are outside of your control. This is a a sign that you don't trust the Lord with the results. It's a good thing to plan your ways, but we trust the Lord's sovereign care and trust His direction. Or maybe you just try to make your desired result come about by any means necessary to include sins. And friends, if, if you're here and you've never repented of your sins and placed your faith in Jesus... Well, you should recognize from James' words here that this is its own form of arrogant boasting against the Lord. It's denying your need of God. It's denying your need of a Savior. It's denying that God is sovereign over the affairs of the world and that He calls you to repent and believe and submit to Him. And perhaps you're sitting here today and you believe, you would say that, yes, I think that there is a God who exists, but I'm just not ready to submit my life to this God. Maybe you wouldn't say it out loud, but maybe your plan is to pursue all the wealth and the pleasure that this world has to offer now uh, while you're young. And when you're drawing near the end of your what you believe to be your long and your full life, well, then you will place your faith in Jesus. Now, you're going to live how you want now, and once you come to the end of your life, well, that's the time to place your faith in Jesus. Now, if that's your plan, you're forgetting that your life is but a vapor, and you don't know what tomorrow holds. A God who is has given you life can take it away at any time. You could be in a car accident on the way home from church this afternoon. Your life is but a vapor. And Don't arrogantly believe that you will live to be old and full of years. But God is calling you to repent and believe the good news of the gospel today. Don't forget that your life is but a vapor. And brothers and sisters, fellow Christians, you may be sitting here wondering, okay, Well, in light of this, that I don't know what tomorrow holds, in light of the the truth that my life is but a vapor, well, what am I to do? How am I to live with these truths? How do you respond if you don't know how tomorrow will end or when your life will end? Uh, I, I think James gives an answer, at least a partial answer, in verse 17. He writes in verse 17, It is a sin to know the good and yet not do it. In other words, God may not reveal to you what tomorrow will hold. He may not have revealed to you the span of your life. But he has revealed to you his will in his word. He has revealed his commands. He has revealed how you ought to live, how to please him and how to honor him, what is right and good. It is his will that you obey. It is his will that you know his word, that you know the right thing, and you do it and you can know his will by looking at his word. And God does not promise to reveal to you what tomorrow holds. Uh, It's not if you just pray hard enough or have enough faith that the Lord is gonna give you a clear picture of what the next month or the next year is going to look like. But he has revealed to you how you should live regardless of what tomorrow holds. He has revealed how you should live in light of eternity. Uh, You might not know, for example, what your next job will be, you may not know where your next job will be, but he has revealed his will for you in whatever job you do hold. In Colossians 3, and 24, whatever you do, do it from the heart. As something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord, you serve the Lord Christ. So you may not know what tomorrow holds, but remembering that God is sovereign means submitting to him and obeying him, no matter what it holds. It means trusting Him regardless of the circumstances of your life. And brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you that this does not make your life insignificant or unimportant. To live in light of God's sovereignty and His control is, is how you live a life of significance and how you live a life of, of impact. How you glorify God no matter the circumstances of your life or your station in life, you can bring glory to your Heavenly Father by the way you live. Remember eternity and remember God's sovereignty and live in light of those things. That is what James is encouraging you to do, so to remember God's sovereignty. Second, he encourages you to remember God's judgment. At the beginning of chapter 5, James turns his attention to a, a new group of people. He turns his attention, I think, from Christians who are tempted to forget God's sovereignty to live with no consideration of God's sovereignty or his sovereign rule in the world with no consideration of eternity. And he turns his attention to those people, uh, to those who are not Christians, specifically those who are wealthy. James warns them not to forget God's sovereignty and the reality of eternity either, but specifically he warns them not to forget the coming judgment of God. Uh, So look again at James chapter 5, verse 1. Come now, you rich people, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth is rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have stored up treasure in the last days. Look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed your fields cries out and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of armies. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous who does not resist you. Uh, Now, before we we really jump into these verses, I I don't think James is condemning all rich people in these verses. The the Bible doesn't condemn wealth or, or riches in and of themselves. In fact, God chose to provide wealth to people such as Abraham and Jacob. Joseph, Job, uh, you could give many other examples from the scripture. Yet, even as I say that, let's make clear that the Bible does issue a number of warnings about the danger of riches. Their tendency to draw people's hearts away from the Lord and to the treasures of this world instead. And the Bible says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Uh, so riches, and specifically the desire for riches, tempts people to pursue friendship with the world, instead of friendship with God. Uh, so in these verses, James is, is not condemning the rich for their wealth specifically. He's condemning them for two two things. Uh, one, that they, they have let their, let their hearts be led astray by riches, and they have stored up treasures on earth. And second, this is illustrated by their mistreatment of others. They have gained their riches uh, improperly, in by by oppressing others. And in light of these two things, he warns them that God's judgment is coming. Uh, so first, uh, he, he warns them or he rebukes them because they have stored up treasures on earth. Look again at verses 2 and 3. Your wealth has rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have stored up treasures in the last day. Well, these verses are are very reminiscent of of Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. Uh, And then really the point of what Jesus is teaching, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, Well, James tells these, that are rich, that they have been placing their their affections, they have been putting their heart, they have been led away by wealth. And he warns them and reminds them of the fleeting nature of wealth. Their money and their possessions on earth, they will not last, you can't take it with you. Uh, Charles Thomas Studd, a British missionary to China, put it well in his poem titled, Only One Life. Uh, This is one of the stanzas from that poem and this is what he writes. To the little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Well, the the rich that James is rebuking in these verses did not live as, as if only what's done for Christ will last, they did not have a view of eternity. Instead, as he writes in verse 5, that they have lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged themselves. Uh, he makes it clear that they pursued wealth for their own pleasure. Uh, They sought to store up, live in comfort, live in ease, live in self-indulgence. They pursued their passions and desires. They pursued their own interests. Uh, They forgot that their life and the treasure that they accumulated on earth were but a vapor. And instead of these riches adding to their lives, as as they are pursuing their own self-indulgence, James says instead of adding to their life, these riches will condemn them. As he writes in verse 3, their riches will be a witness against them and eat their flesh like fire. In verse 5, he writes that you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. In, In other words, their pursuit of wealth and placing their affections on their worldly possessions was similar to the chicken or the cow when the farmer feeds great quantities of grain prior to going to the slaughter. Uh, This is because their pursuit of earthly treasure revealed their hearts. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And these individuals treasured their earthly wealth. They did not treasure Jesus. Second, this is illustrated in the second thing that James condemns them for. Is that uh, is for how they accumulated their wealth? And they did it by oppressing the poor. And because James is writing this to a church, it's, it's likely, or a group of churches, it's likely that church members themselves were experiencing the oppression of some of the rich landowners in their community. Uh, these people were living under some of this oppression. Uh, you. Um, And again, this may be a situation that may not be unknown to some of you sitting in this room this afternoon, and you may have experienced the injustice of those you have worked for. We can see in in verse 4 of of chapter 5 that those that were wealthy were were withholding pay from those who worked for them. And in verse 6, James says that they were condemning and murdering the righteous poor. Uh, and this righteous poor were unable to resist them. They didn't have the, the power or the influence to do anything about their situation. If you were to, to flip back to James chapter 2, verse 6, James mentions the rich dragging the poor into court, possibly using their, their power and their influence to unjustly condemn those who, who couldn't fight back. Uh, this may be what he has in mind by saying that the rich condemn them here. Uh, he says that they, they murder the righteous poor, the rich murder the righteous. Uh, I don't think James is probably referring to actual murder here but, uh, by, but in some sense that he is the, the rich were putting the danger or putting the poor in danger of starving to death by withholding wages. And so in some sense, they were murdering the righteous poor. Uh, in either case, once again, their mistreatment of the poor will be a witness against them. In the final judgment. James writes, The cries of those being oppressed are heard by the Lord. The miseries that the rich were inflicting on the poor will be the same miseries that would come back to them in the final judgment. And the bottom line, and the point that James is trying to drive home, is that the rich were living their lives with no consideration of God's sovereignty. That they were living their lives in, in no consideration of the fleeting nature of their life and of wealth and with no consideration of final judgment. They were not living in life of eternity. Now, friends, I, I think it can be fairly easy to read these six verses here in James and just kind of gloss over them to overlook James' condemnation of the rich here. Or, when he is delivering this condemnation of the rich, simply think about someone else. Uh, You might be sitting here thinking, I am not rich. I'm sending every spare durham I have back home to support my family. You might be thinking, I've never oppressed anyone in the way James is accusing the rich of oppressing the poor. Instead, you might have been experiencing the things that the righteous poor were experiencing in these verses. But I think there are three reasons not to ignore James' condemnation of the rich here. Uh, The first reason is that you can pursue treasures on earth whether or not you are rich. You can be pursuing possessions and wealth, whether or not you have it. Uh, You may not be wealth you are pursuing, but love and attention, you could be pursuing sex or power or influence or any number of other things. And if you pursue and store up any of the treasures on earth, they will stand as a witness against you in the final judgment. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. so that's one reason we can all store up any variety of treasures on earth, which is one of the things that James is condemning the rich for here. And the second reason I think that you should not ignore it is that God's wrath will not just be poured out against those who oppress the poor or those who accumulate earthly wealth, but against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And God's judgment will one day be poured out against all sin. Friends, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you need to understand the reality that God's judgment is coming. This is the warning that James is giving the rich here, but it's the warning that the entirety of the Bible gives to you. Your life is but a vapor, and you will face God's judgment for your sin when your life is over or when Christ comes again. And the only rescue from your sin or from your pursuit of earthly reward is to repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus Christ. Well, the third reason I think, brothers and sisters, not to ignore these words to the rich that James gives here is that James actually wrote them for your encouragement. He wrote them as a rebuke to those who are oppressing the poor and setting their affections on wealth, but he also wrote them as an encouragement for the church. He wrote them to encourage those being oppressed to endure their trials with patience and to wait upon the Lord. And so that takes us to the the last point of the sermon, which is to be patient and remember God's mercy and compassion. I think it's easier to be patient when you have something to look forward to. Uh, Maybe when you have a, a trip scheduled over the summer to go back home, to visit your home country, to see friends and family that you haven't seen for a long time, it's easier to endure the tough days at work. Easier to endure the hot temperatures here in the UAE, maybe if you know you're going to go someplace a little cooler in a few weeks. The same thing is true when a holiday is coming up. Uh, Just recently, many of you probably had uh, some time off for for Eid. I'm guessing it was probably easier for you to have a good attitude at, at work the week leading up to that time off. It is easier to be patient when you have something to look forward to. Well, the same thing is true of our spiritual life. Look at me at at James, chapter 5, verse 7. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look. The judge stands at the door. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Well, So now James has has turned his attention once again from from the rich to, to address the church directly. And James exhorts them to patience because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers, what helps you patiently endure trials or or suffer injustice here on earth? Uh, It's it's looking forward to the promised return of Christ. It's remembering that his return is near or or imminent. It could occur at, at any time. It is certain. So like the prophets, patiently wait. Eagerly anticipate. Live as if Christ might return at any moment because that is true. It's what James is is trying to get across. Live in light of Christ's return. Live in light of eternity. And I want you to to notice that, that James begins verse 7 with therefore. Therefore be patient. In light of what I've already written to you, be patient. In other words, what he had written was to be an encouragement to the church to be patient. It's why you shouldn't ignore those words that he wrote to the rich. And remember our, our main idea, or James's main idea, that we are to wait patiently for the imminent return of Jesus by remembering God's sovereignty, His judgment, and His mercy and compassion. And brothers and sisters, all these truths about who God is and His sovereign control over the world, His coming judgment, these are intended to be a comfort to you. It should be a source of comfort to you that God is in control, and he is in control over the affairs of your life, he's in control of the affairs of the entire world. You might not know what tomorrow holds, but God is sovereign, and you know how he has the power to work all things together for your good. Because God is sovereign, you can submit your request to him in prayer because he cares for you, but also because he has the power to do something about it. Yes, your life is a vapor, but if you're a child of God, even that is a comfort because you know that death is not the end. You don't have to worry about what tomorrow holds. And brothers and sisters, it's not just God's sovereignty that is supposed to be an encouragement to you. The the reality of God's coming judgment is also supposed to be a comfort to you and encourage you towards patience. For one, you have been delivered from the judgment to come. Praise be to God. You've been delivered by the blood of Jesus. But also if you've been mistreated, if you've been oppressed, if great injustice has been done against you, if you've experienced similar things to what James's audience experienced, if you've experienced things much worse than that, be patient and be comforted because your sovereign God sees your suffering. He hears your cries. And because a day is coming when God will set all things right. There's a day coming when suffering and injustice will be no more and when wrong will be made right and the wicked will be judged. There's a day coming when your fortunes will be reversed. Just look back at, at James chapter 5 verse 4 when James writes that the cries of the workers who had been denied pay had reached the Lord's ears. And brothers and sisters, that is James writes that as a word of warning to the rich, but he also writes that as a word of encouragement to you. God hears and God sees your trouble. This is the apostle Peter writes, you can cast your cares on the Lord because the Lord cares for you. You may be sitting here this afternoon and you may think that no one sees your suffering or, or understands the hardships that you are going through. And you may think that no one understands your difficulties or your pain or your sorrow, that no one cares, but God does. He sees, he hears, And He cares. Your situation may not get better now. And your situation may not even improve in this life. But be patient. The return of the Lord could be any day now and He has heard your cries. And He will one day make all things right. Not only that, as as James has told us in, in previous weeks, God gives you greater grace to endure the trials that come your way. And in the midst of your trials, He's using those to mature your faith. So keep your eye on God and keep your eye on eternity. I Actually, want you to to turn with me for a moment to Psalm chapter 73. Psalm 73, it's it's right there in the middle of your Bible. And in Psalm 73, I want you to see that you're not just to be comforted that God hears, but also because one day he will return in judgment. In uh, Psalm chapter 73, the psalmist writes this, starting in verse 2. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray for I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have an easy time until they die and their bodies are well fed. They are not in trouble like others. They are not afflicted like most people. In other words, the psalmist, as he's crying out to the Lord here, he's tempted to doubt God when he sees those who are wicked, when he might see these rich people oppressing the poor. Uh, He's tempted to doubt God when he sees them prospering. And he goes on for a number of verses. If you keep reading through Psalm 73, he goes through a number of verses lamenting this reality and, and wondering if he's being righteous for no reason. He asks God, well, what's the purpose of me being righteous and living uprightly if the wicked prosper and I'm suffering? But then, if you continue to read, his perspective shifts. And this is what he writes starting in verse 16. When I tried to understand all this, when I tried to understand the suffering of the righteous and the prosperity of the wicked, in other words, when I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless until I entered God's sanctuary. Then I understood their destiny. Indeed, you put them in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin how suddenly they become a desolation. They come to an end, swept away by terrors. Brothers and sisters, the takeaway from Psalm 73 isn't that you're to rejoice in the judgment of the wicked. You're to pray for their repentance, share the gospel with them in the hopes that they will be forgiven. Yet you can patiently endure mistreatment and oppression because one day the wicked will be judged and the righteous will be exalted. And in the midst of that encouragement james gives you a reminder to, to watch your own life so that you don't fall under judgment he says that you're not complaining to complain about one another that you will not be judged and look the judge stands at the door but as one commentator put it the nearness of the lord's coming is not just an impetus to look forward to judgment to the judgment of sinners but it is also a warning to examine one's own behavior So just like James warns the rich, he warns you, he warns the church to you keep in mind God's coming judgment as well. But his main emphasis is to point believers to patient endurance in light of the coming judgment of the wicked and the future exaltation of the righteous. The future exaltation of the righteous is where James points in verses 10 and 11. He encourages you to look to the prophets of old who suffered for their faithfulness to the Lord, yet they patiently endured, They continue to faithfully deliver the word of the Lord to a people who wouldn't listen, to a people who oppressed them and mistreated them. They continue to prophesy in the sure hope that they would one day be with the Lord. It's an encouragement to faithfulness in the midst of suffering and persecution, especially if you are suffering for your faith. But James also points to the example of Job, who patiently endured great trials. He endured the loss of all his children, all his wealth, the loss of his physical health, now, Job was not perfect, but he patiently endured. And the Bible records that after a lengthy period of endurance, the Lord restored his fortunes and doubled his previous possessions. And James points to, the, to that example. He points to the example of Job not to promise that the Lord is going to materially bless you in this life, that if you make it for a year or two years, the Lord is going to double your fortunes. And no, but he, is to, but he points to this to say that Job's physical and material prosperity is a picture of God's mercy and God's compassion, and it's a picture of the spiritual blessings that await those who patiently endure the trials and injustice of this life. It's because the Lord is compassionate and the Lord is merciful to his people. A look at the compassion and mercy he displayed to Job. How much greater is the compassion and mercy that he has displayed and will display to you in Christ Jesus. He who willingly gave his own son, will He not with he will not withhold any good thing from you. And as James wrote in James chapter 1, verse 12, he who endures will receive the crown of life. And as Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verses 16 through 18, the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children, and if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the suffering of this present time, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. so brothers and sisters, James' message to you is don't complain or grow bitter or take vengeance into your own hands. Don't despair, but strengthen your hearts by keeping your eyes on eternity and by keeping your eyes on your God. Wait patiently for the imminent return of Jesus by remembering God's sovereignty by remembering that Christ will return again, that he will return again in judgment. And by remembering God's mercy and compassion as he is so abundantly displayed to you in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.